everyone, and welcome to Meetups with Mediators, a podcast brought to you by the Columbus Bar Association. I'm your host, Veronica Cravener. This is a podcast for both mediators and attorneys who represent clients at mediation. The goal is to provide takeaways to help you make your next mediation your best mediation. Today's topic is do's and don'ts for attorneys and mediation. And today's guest is Christopher Ernst. Christopher is an attorney and a mediator. As an attorney, Christopher has almost 30 years of experience. He's litigated a wide variety of cases from plaintiff's personal injury to insurance defense, from business contracts to business torts, and from employment to construction. And he served as lead trial counsel in cases as large as $160 million in value. He has 25 years of ADR experience. He provides services as a mediator, arbitrator, and special master throughout Ohio. He also provides early neutral evaluation, mock trial, and mini trial services. His primary focus is on business, tort, and employment matters. And he provides his ADR services through his business called Ohio ADR. So with that, Christopher, welcome to Meetups with Mediators, and thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having having me. It's a uh, distinct pleasure on my on my part. Fantastic. So I'm always interested to ask guests about how they got to mediation. So uh, I'll start with that with you as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found your way to mediation? The 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 short answer is that I grew tired, have grown tired. Pick pick your your verb tense. Uh, with uh, always having to fight uh, in a case and always having to fight for my clients. Hey, of course I do it. It's, it's something I, I, I do enjoy, but it wears on you after a little while. And what I began to realize a number of years ago was that I was taking a lot more personal satisfaction, enjoying my job a lot more when I was actually bringing parties together and getting good resolutions uh, for the parties. And uh, mediation was a natural uh, offshoot of that. I had started uh, serving as an arbitrator in the early 1990s uh, through uh, Common Police Court here in Cleveland. And you continue to do that the entire time and sort of made the conscious decision that, you know what, I think I want to build my ADR work. And the next best step is to do that uh, by uh, by becoming a mediator. So I went out and uh, sought a, a training, both through the Ohio Supreme Court and through the AAA, uh, which runs a, a marvelous uh, 40-hour CLE on, on uh, basic skills for, for being a mediator, and uh, proclaimed myself to, to be a mediator at that point. And uh, people uh, began to, uh, to come to me and uh, started serving on, in that capacity and working real hard to, to get a resolution. That's fantastic. And, you know, that's that's a sentiment that I've heard from many attorneys, actually. And I mean, it sounds like you've just sort of had this evolution from conflict to consensus, right? I, I, I think they would call it growth. <laughs> another another great way to describe it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's great going out and being in the trenches and fighting the fight and getting the dirt on your fingernails, all the cliches. Uh, and and I spent you know a, a lot of time doing that. I mean, the, you you mentioned the uh, that 160 million dollar case. That was the better part of three years of my life. It was a fantastic experience. Don't really want to do it again. And instead, what I really want to do is is um, you know not unlike the old uh, uh, was it Rodney King with can't we all get along uh, kind of mantra, but but work on bringing people together rather than pushing them apart. 
Sure, sure. And I bet, you know, all of your experience in practicing as an attorney really comes in handy now as you're as you're mediating as well. It, it, it does, and it can, so long as you put it in the right context. Uh, I know that a lot of people think, well, I, I've litigated for X number of years, therefore that will make me a good mediator. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I probably thought of that before I went out and got training and, and began to see the other side of it. Uh, while certainly, you know, the experience that I can bring to the table as a as a an experienced litigator lends a certain I don't know a little sense of gravitas I I, I would guess but it, it it does not necessarily make you a good mediator make what makes you being a good mediator in my mind is being a good listener and while there are a lot of attorneys who are very good listeners um, there are a lot who aren't. And unless you learn that ability to to really listen and perceive, you know, what the other side is saying and sometimes not saying, uh, then then you're almost going to be in in a confrontational role as a mediator, you know, where where you can't take that litigator hat off. Uh, I I try real hard to, not to not not to be in that uh, position. Right. No, I, I definitely follow you, and um, that's a great segue into. I wanted to ask you to share a little bit more about just your style as a mediator. So, you know, there's different styles of mediation. You hear about facilitative mediation, evaluative, transformative. Can you tell us about your style as a mediator? Yeah, certainly. I I tend not to do much in the transformative realm. Uh, the, The lion's share of what I do in terms of uh, you trying to resolve lawsuits or or or, or pre lawsuits uh, is really in the facilitative or evaluative uh, range, and it depends. It depends on where we are in the mediation. It depends on where we are in the conflict. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if, particularly if parties feel like they're not being listened to, you have to give them that ear, and you have to facilitate that, and sometimes you have to draw them out even further. Uh, and then there's times, you know, in a mediation where sometimes you have to, um, you know, maybe get a little stern, if you will, uh, and uh, say, listen, this is, I've got an evaluation on this. This is how I see it and what range and what do you think about that and get them to move from the, uh, uh, um, the unloading, the getting stuff off of their chest to a point of thinking about, well, what will it take me to get this thing, you know, this, this dispute resolved? What will make me go away happy? And, you know, what, what do I think the other side would be willing to, uh, <clears throat> to give on? And um, so I, it's sort of between the two, between the facilitative and, and the evaluative, depends on where we are in the nature of the dispute. Sometimes depend, depends on the nature of the dispute. I had a, uh, 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 mediation a couple of years back that involved two brothers who were in their 70s and they owned a piece of commercial uh, property together over on the west side of town and when we sat down for the mediation they had already been through litigation the litigation process for probably a good eight eight months or so at that point and when we sat down to to talk about the case at the initial meeting uh, it became very obvious that there were charged emotions uh, and it became very obvious to me that those charged emotions were not really tied in with what the 
basis of the lawsuit was when he looked at the four corners of the complaint, you know, where, where he owes me money, he's done wrong, that kind of deal. And, and after we got, you know, the initial disgorgement of, of, uh, of ideas and feelings and problems out in the joint session, and we went into caucus, uh, I ended up caucusing with the younger brother first. And I think he, I think he was the defendant in the case. I don't frankly remember, uh, but I went with him as a younger brother because it seemed to me and maybe because I'm a younger brother, uh, that he was a bit under the thumb of the older brother. And we sat down in the conference room at the, at the law firm. And no sooner we sat down, I looked at him and said, I have a distinct feeling that um, this lawsuit has nothing to do with the numbers and the complaint and who paid for what, uh, but there, there's some deeper issues there between you and your brother. And he looked at me kind of mm, dumbfounded, it's a wrong word, kind of amazed, and said, I'm so glad you said that. And we probably spent the next half an hour basically talking about how his brother had always been mean to him growing up over 70 years of life. And once we got past that, and once he was able to, to get it out to, frankly, as he, as he probably viewed it, the court, because I was there as a court-appointed mediator in this case, um, then we were able to get to the real issues of, of, uh, of, of, of litigation in terms of you know, who, who owes what money. <clears throat> but it wasn't until we got past that, that hurdle, that impasse, as to there were a lot of motions going on, and, and that really was the root of the dispute between them. Um, so that whole you know, part of it, that whole first part, was purely facilitative. And then once we get down to you owe this for that and you owe that for this, then it's evaluative. Uh, it's, it, it transforms in the middle of the mediation. And I love how you're able to blend the two different styles, both evaluative and facilitative. So, I mean, I'll just share, like, to the extent that I've talked to other mediators, typically I find either someone does just facilitative or just evaluative. But, I mean, that's really powerful how you're able to blend the two because I have noticed the same thing in mediations that, I mean, sometimes what parties want is for someone to give their, you know, assessment of the strengths or weaknesses. But then other times what's really needed is, you know, just connection, right? That active listening um, and, and other types of facilitative mediations, mediation skills. So, I mean, I, I, I bet you I could see how, I mean, your parties in mediation would find that incredibly valuable that you're able to blend the two styles. Well, what, what, what's what's a, a normal attorney, an advocate attorney, as opposed to a, a attorney neutral? Uh, what are they supposed to be doing with their client? In, the client comes to them in a time of need. If if you're dealing with individuals as opposed to businesses, it may well be the time of biggest need in their life. They've never been sued before. They've never been hurt before. They've never been whatever before. Businesses is, is it's it's a little bit different with them, um, but the attorney needs to sort of have that facilitative role too. Tell me what the problem is, and and skilled attorneys are basically going to grill politely and grill their own clients to find out what is really in that case, be it a plaintiff, and is going to really grill that defendant to find out what really happened, so that they can make an assessment, they can evaluate um the the ups and downs and the merits of the case so it is in some ways that natural outgrowth um wh where i try to put a different spin on it is to step out of that advocate role and step into the neutral role uh and and engage in the dialogue with with the parties uh, either jointly or separately 
that is more conducive to getting them to think about where that middle ground is, as opposed to, you know, adversarial language, that, that, that advocating language that a lot of attorneys will use. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And, and so, yeah, how about let's get to um, some of these do's and don'ts. So I know we had a prep call prior to today's podcast recording, and I also had the chance to read some of your articles on your website. You've got some, you've got some really great articles on your website. And uh, yeah, we had the chance to to talk about a few different things that you've noticed um, over the years. So one of the things I wanted to start with was just uh, this whole idea of a false negotiator in mediation. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, the, I know. The, the false negotiator. <clears throat> the false negotiator is, is uh, um, someone that is at times difficult to ascertain when you're in the in the middle of it. Uh, it it's one of the things where uh, probably in retrospect, it's a little easier to see. But the false negotiator is basically the, the party that's coming in, well, party or counsel that's coming into a mediation with absolutely no idea of, uh, of, of actually um, resolving the case in mediation. Um, they may be there for an ulterior, ulterior motive. One of, one of my late partners in my old firm um, said that he frequently liked to use mediation as a discovery tool so he could find out more about the other side. Um, I always thought that seemed to be uh, a little counter to the purpose, but he was actually pretty good, pretty good at resolving cases. Um, the basic, basic concept of a false negotiator, and this came out of a study that was done, by the way, at Harvard at their, in their um, program of negotiation, um, is someone who has in their mind when they're walking in the door for that mediation, that whatever their best alternative to that negotiated resolution, the BATNA, is going to be much better than whatever could be negotiated at, at, the, uh, at the mediation. So they're walking in thinking that if they go to trial, they're gonna get $100 million. Uh, and if they settle it, they're only gonna get $50 million and they refuse to move off, uh, they settle mediation and they refuse to move off this, this position, but go through the process anyway. And they'll typically go through the process um, for for one of two reasons. One is that the court referred them to ADR, uh, referred them to mediation, or two is because someone suggested it would be a good idea. It's never sort of self-motivated of let's go and sit down with a neutral and, and talk, about, uh, talk about the problems and, and hash things out. They're usually there due to some outside force. And, and it's interesting because, you know, Mediation is, is a self-directed process. And even with court referrals, um, all you have to do is show for mediation. That's all that's required. You don't actually have to mediate. You don't actually have to be there when the mediator says, no, you should, you know, don't leave, you should say you you it's self-determinative. And part of that self-determinative process, you can get up and walk out the door. Uh, but these false negotiators won't necessarily do that because they want to give the impression that they're interested in resolving the case. They want to give the impression that, you know, they're, they're, they're tough negotiators. When in the back of their minds, they have absolutely no desire to, to settle the case. So when you're in a mediation like that, one of, one of, the, one of the tells for a false uh, negotiator is basically somebody who will end up talking an awful lot in the mediation. They refuse to listen to anybody else their own attorney, the mediator, other side, and they're going to be the person sitting at that conference room table 
that is leading the conversation and talking about whatever. They do this in my mind in part because they're uncomfortable in the silence or they're uncomfortable, uncomfortable in the listening part of it. So to compensate for that, just as people get, un, you know, they'll get nervous if it's quiet for too long and suddenly begin to talk, it's the same sort of thing. The other tell that they have is in that process, they're not really dealing with the nuts and bolts of the case. They may be dealing with ancillary issues, they may be dealing with uh, idle conversation, but when it comes time to really talk about the nuts and bolts of, of, of the case, they deflect away from it and they then refuse to listen to what the other side is saying. So what they're missing out on by, by not listening is missing out on opportunities where there's commonality, where you can get that resolution. So it, it's frustrating as a neutral if you're walking in thinking that we're going to have two sides who are interested in resolving the dispute, where one is is not interested in resolving the dispute, but actually goes so far as to um, be duplicitous about it. They're 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 going to cast the impression that they're there. Oh, I'm here to mediate the, the case. But they have absolutely no desire, no interest to, and they're wasting your time and money and the other side's time and money. And it's a, um, a very frustrating experience. Um, so in terms of a do's and don'ts, which is how we got on that topic, um, it, it, it would be don't go in as a false, as a false negotiator. And as, as counsel is, is concerned, it, you know, it's, it's very important for that false negotiator's counsel to sort of take charge here and 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 rein the client in and get the focus on it. Otherwise, if 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 the attorney knows this is this is a boondoggle, then call it a boondoggle and be done. You know, give everybody the respect of not wasting their time. Um, so that's 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 one of the do's and don'ts. Cool. And you know, I was wondering too, just from your approach as the mediator, I mean, so what's What's your approach? Like when you, once you notice a false negotiator, is your goal at that point, is it just a matter of helping opposing counsel get that information so they have a better understanding of who they're dealing with? Or, I mean, I, I take it if one side's a false, false negotiator, those probably result in no agreement, right? Usually there's no agreement, but because there's such a fine line between a false negotiator and a tough negotiator, uh, you, you, as, as a neutral, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm probing, I'm trying, I'm trying to get on the inside, if you will, of, of, of the party. And if I'm ultimately coming to the conclusion that this is a false negotiator, then basically I will, I'll, I'll end it. Um, because it's the same reason, it's wasting everybody's time and money. I will leave the door open to say, this was a good first round. Maybe you guys need to go do your four depositions, or maybe you need to to do whatever needs to be done in the course of discovery. Um, come back to me. I'm I'm more than willing to continue talking to you. But as it stands today, there's 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 no point in pushing forward. With a tough negotiator, you don't you haven't made the conclusion that they're that you know that they're. Uh, um, um, being there for false reasons. So you'll sort of continue to work at them. That then leads to situations, well, when you finish the mediation, maybe you didn't get any resolution. You look back at it as a neutral, go, did I blow it? Did I blow my assessment? Were they actually a false negotiator? And I thought they were just simply trying to be tough or vice versa. I really don't want to make that decision in, in reverse. I don't want to um, presume somebody's false. And in reality, they're just tough. 
I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt because that's the process. That's that's getting through dispute resolution. So if I'm at the point where I'm finally saying this is a false negotiator, this really is a false negotiator, and there's no point we're done. You know, it's it's not an it's not an easy decision to make because I will give. I mean, I'll give that deference because I I want to get a resolution. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're saying that you're going to give each party and their counsel the benefit of the doubt that, oh. that they're not that false negotiator, that perhaps they might just be a tough negotiator. Mm-hmm. But then once you realize that, okay, this is a false negotiator for progress is not going to be possible, at least at this point, then that's where you as the mediator just are ending the mediation to be mindful of people's time and money. Exactly. I, I, had, I, had, a, I had a mediation probably about five years ago now uh, in, in a real estate matter that involved agents and commissions and whatnot. And the plaintiff was um, a, a real estate investor. And um, I, I, I knew I knew counsel in the case. I'd actually gone to law school with the majority of counsel in the case. So I had an ability to have a conversation with them because you know, I've known these people for, for 30 years. And he, I think there may have been something um, psychologically or emotionally amiss with the plaintiff. I don't want to play psychologist and say that he had problems, but he, he was he was perceiving this and conducting himself in a manner that was not what we would view as as, as common, if you will. <clears throat> um, but as part of that was his perception towards mediation, his perception towards what a resolution was. And I didn't realize it at the time, but he really was a false negotiator because he came into that adamantly believing that if he went to trial, he was going to get, you know, the proverbial $100 million. In this case, in a case that was probably worth about $25,000 at best. And so it's the kind of thing where if, I worked with him a long time, I worked with his counsel for a long time, met with his counsel separately, and we were trying really anything in our power to come up with something where we could rein him in and bring him into the sphere of our discussions. And it, it was just wasn't going to happen. So in retrospect, he was a false negotiator, but I just didn't realize it at the time because I kept, I kept deferring. I kept trying to, to give him that benefit of the doubt. Um, and I, and you know what, that's, that's, that's an error that I would rather make, as I said, than the other way around. So, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, with parties who are inclined to be false negotiators, um, have you ever seen any of those mediations where there was no agreement as a result of the first session because some, someone was a false negotiator? Do they ever come back to mediation or, I mean, have those parties just completely ruined their chance of resolving their case in mediation because they took that false negotiator position at that initial session? I think that's a two-part question. Okay. (laughs) And and, and, in answering the last part of it, I I don't think they've ruined their chance in mediation, certainly with me or or to go to mediation with, with another neutral. Uh, I, I have the philosophy that as long as people are willing to talk, then then we should be talking. So if that false negotiator has has uh, maybe you know softened softened his stance from being false to simply tough, um, and yeah, it's it's worthwhile to go in and and have more discussions because you don't know what will come of them. 
I, that being said, I think this goes to the first party question, I have not had anybody come back to me in that sort of situation for subsequent negotiations. Uh, but I did have one relatively recently, it was in the, the, the late summer last year, actually, involving three parties where there was a, a, a potentially a false negotiator in it. Uh, and we, ended, we, we could not get a result. We had um, two sessions live on Zoom. We had multiple phone calls afterwards, multiple emails afterwards. I ended up doing a, uh, a mediator's proposal as well, uh, and and it did not resolve via mediation. Uh, but three months later, it resolved in a settlement in front of the judge during a pretrial, and I was told that it was, I think, within a thousand dollars of where the where, where the mediator's proposal was. Um, oh wow! So, yeah, so we, so we were we were very close, and 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 not even necessarily that 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 my proposal was was off. I just don't think at that time the parties were ready for it. But they did settle it, and I'd like to think um, that one of the reasons the judge was able to get that settled was because of all the work that I put in on the case. Um, yeah, and, and getting them in that mindset. And I guess <laughs> the unfortunate thing I'm guessing is they probably had to spend much more money <laughs> and time they, to they, get to they, that settlement that was within a thousand of your mediator's yeah, they, proposal. They, they certainly had uh, they certainly had money in attorney's fees. Um, I, I think they had carrying damages, uh, carrying uh, uh, damages as well. Uh, and then they were nice enough to actually complain about my fee on top of it. So, yeah, it was just a, a it was a lose lose all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, how about let's move on to the next one. So, how about let's talk about <laughs> well, let's talk about determining value. So, I know um, uh, that's one thing that you and I talked about prior to today's podcast recording is uh, just attorneys needing to take the time to properly evaluate their case before mediation. Yeah. And that, and that tends to be, and I, and I, and I, and I don't intend to point fingers here, but I guess I, I kind of will. That tends to be more on the, on the plaintiff's bar um, than the defense bar. And, and I, and I, you know, as a litigator, I've been on, on both sides and, and, and I get it. Um, but valuing a claim is, it's a bit of an art. It's a bit of a science, you know. And it used to be in the, you know back back in the days where you just took the medicals, you multiplied, piled them by three, and that was your settlement. Um, it, it, it things have changed a lot since then, and part of the problem is that when attorneys walk into a mediation, um, they don't they, they haven't taken the time to thoroughly analyze what the monetary value of their claim is. Um, and, and as a result, they tend to, they tend to value their claim in a, uh, uh, in, in, in a responsive way to what the other side is doing. So if defense counsel offers $10,000, there's almost the subtext that, that the plaintiffs will say, okay, well, actually my case is really worth more than 20, is worth more like $20,000. Whereas if they had done an evaluation at the beginning, uh, or the beginning of the mediation, even they may have come back and said, "No, nah, it's, it's it's more like fifteen thousand dollars." And it's not every. It's not again. I mean, I, I I I'm not pointing fingers at plaintiffs' counsels, except to say that they're the ones that 
have brought the case and they're the ones who are seeking to recover you know, damages. So they, they have that burden to assess what the value is. Some attorneys are very good at doing it. There's absolutely no doubt. Uh, and, and, and some of the analysis that they put in and the explanation for how they got there is, is wonderful. I mean, it really takes, it really takes into account uh, both the art and the science. But then there are those who basically for, you know, the mediation statement, they, uh, they'll they give me a copy of the complaint or, or a motion for summary judgment. And that's about it when we show up at mediation. And they say, well, our demand is, uh, you know, the demand of the complaint was $100,000. And, you know, that's where we're at. Well, that's, you know, how'd you get there? And more likely than not, you just threw that number on the piece of paper when you filed the complaint. Um, so it, it's, they're almost making the defense determine what the value of the claim is, and then they'll negotiate off of that. And that's really not, that's not doing their clients, you know, good service. And by the same token, you know, I, I will point a little blame on, on the defense bar. We know, particularly in insurance cases, there's a valuation that's done uh, uh, you know, by the insurance companies and the adjusters typically at the get-go. They ascertain what the value is, and they're not moving off of it. Uh, so they show up in mediation and there's been no more thought as to what the value of that claim for that case should be, except what the computer spit out eight months previously. And that's not necessarily fair to the process either. Uh, so, you know, there's, it's, uh, the defense bar is not without guilt on this either. In, in, a, in a business setting or employment setting, they're a little bit more, in terms of pointing fingers, they have the same problems that the plaintiffs do in terms of they're walking in mediation and, and they don't really know how much how much they should really think about pain in the case in order to resolve it and if this thought process went on in advance and plaintiff's counsel talked to the plaintiff in advance and defense counsel talked to the defendant in advance and they and they 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 on each side got their minds together then they're going to walk into mediation with with a much clearer picture and therefore, the mediation doesn't have to be doesn't have to drag on as long as it as long as it does. It doesn't have to dance around quite as much as 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 they usually will. And they'll feel far more confident in in what the settlement ends up being in that case. It's basically a matter of doing your homework before you come in. And I had a chance to take a look at. So you have an article on this topic on on your website, and I like how you captured it on your article. You talked about. Um, you know, that, that ideally attorneys would be looking at not only their own BATNA and WATNA, but also, so, uh, best alternative to a negotiated agreement, worst alternative to a negotiated agreement, but that also they should be looking at the other sides, BATNA and WATNA, right? Uh, so is that, is that really what you're, what you're focused on when you're talking about like properly valuing the case is actually taking a look at not only your own BATNA and WATNA, but also opposing counsel's? That, that's 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 very much part of that valuation uh, yeah. because you need to, you need to understand what the other side's cases. What I'll tell counsel when when uh, when we first get a mediation scheduled was I really want them to step into their opponent's shoes and think about what their case is. And and there's some who are who are good at doing this, and 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 there are some who are not. But if they take the time and they go through that exercise, and 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 you know, play defense counsel for a couple hours and work that case up, see where see where the weaknesses and the way are and where the strengths are. It it makes them as as 
you know, in, in their real role in, in a plaintiff's counsel in this situation, it makes them that much more attuned to the strengths and weaknesses of their case. It's it's only by seeing both sides of the picture that you can really figure out where that resolution is. And unfortunately, uh, I will tell you that in the, in the years that I've been suggesting this to the counsel, those who do it um, are, are, are few and far between. And I think it's probably in part because there's a mindset there that, you know, they're, they're fighting for their client, they're in it, and, and almost a little bit of a force for the trees uh, where they can't, they can't pop their head up and see what the other side is doing kind of deal. Um, but those who, who do take those steps um, usually find that the results end up being being better and and uh, and quicker to obtain. I actually um, <clears throat> have a mediation I'm working on presently. We just finished one session uh, where there are two shareholders in several businesses, uh, and they are at at odds in operating the business. Uh, and this happens. And and I when they first engaged me, we talked about it and sort of set some you know, initial parameters, just sort of rules of the game, if you will, with them all by agreement. Um, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to tell me what your goals are. And 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 sh we're going to share that with the other side. I want you to tell me any goals that you may have for the mediation that are confidential. And you're only going to share with me. But I want you to share them with me so I know. And the third thing I want you to do is I want you to think about what your other other shareholders' goals are. And tell me what you perceive them to be. And again, it's confidential just between you know, the shareholder and me and then the other shareholder and me. And uh, they actually probably did a better job on it than any attorney I've ever had. <laughs> 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 and I can tell they, 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 they put uh, a lot of thought into it. Uh, and I mean, they're, they're, they're opposing their positions. Well, that's what we're going to try to work through. Uh, it will it it will be a a time consuming process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, just given the nature of it. But they're now in the mindset of oh gee, he's thinking this about me, and and that's that's where they need to be. They they need to step out of their own shoes and and be able to step into somebody else's. So as a result of all that methodical, you know, preparation in terms of valuing the case, I mean, do you feel that? those parties were they able to get a better better resolution well we're still, we're still ongoing we just had one session okay. uh okay. we're gonna have we're, we're gonna have several more um okay. this is the, by the nature of it it's it's gonna be you know we talk for a little bit we talk for an hour hour and a half and then we you know we'll revisit in a couple of days a little bit like therapy <laughs> um, but but that's just kind of the way it's 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 gonna go be, because of how they've how they've been engaged in business so it's 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 we're not gonna sit down for a 10 hour marathon session. Sure. Sure. makes sense. So I guess maybe, you know, kind of the, the, the nutshell version of this is if you're plaintiff's counsel, if you're not taking the time to properly value your claim, you might be leaving money on the table, right? It sounds like that's kind of the, the, the moral there. And that mm -hmm. if you are defense counsel and you're not properly valuing your claim or the other, the other party's claim, then you might be potentially like losing out on an opportunity to resolve it prior to trial in a more cost-effective manner. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. And I think this this perfectly um, is another perfect segue into so the final topic we want to talk about is just preparation. And so uh, another great article. I'm, I'm plugging. I'm plugging your website. You have lots of great articles on there. And uh, so one one article I read too was just in terms of preparation. And I loved how you talked about you know ideally that counsel before coming to mediation 
would prep much like the way that they prep for trial, like take it as seriously. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that there are a lot of attorneys who tend to discredit mediation as being a uh, useful tool to resolution. And because of that, they don't necessarily put in the work that that a good mediation requires. And and I don't know the reason for this. It may, maybe it's maybe it's too many bad mediators out there. I have no idea. Um, but if an attorney doesn't take the time to sit down and discuss not only the mediation process but the settlement process with their client in advance of the mediation, then the client is never, more likely than not, is not going to be in that mindset to achieve a resolution at the settlement. Their case has been going on six months, 12 months, whatever it is. I had a I, I had a, a case that I was involved with years ago. I found out it just recently settled at the at the ten year ten year anniversary of the case. Uh, so they they've been in a litigation mode for a long, long time. Uh, and to show up at a mediation and suddenly say we're not going to litigate, but we're going to settle. So I want you to throw out everything you've thought about winning the case before, and let's think about conceding our position. That's tough for a client to do. By flipping a switch. It's a process. Sometimes it's difficult for attorneys to do by flipping the switch. Uh, but if if an, if counsel will get with the client in advance of the mediation, have an hour-long meeting, talk about you know, the nuts and bolts, who's gonna be there, how's it gonna, you know, how's it gonna be handled, but talk also about where they think the other side's gonna be, part of the value in the claim, stepping the other part's shoes. Um, where they they intend to make demands, what they expect, what they think the response might be, and here's where maybe the case will end up landing for resolution. Then suddenly the client is shifting mentally and psychologically from fight, fight, fight to hey, you know what? I I could be done with this. I could settle this. I could get. I'm not going to get the whole pie, but maybe I get two thirds of the pie. Maybe I get half of the pie. And is that really going to be enough? Is it worth it to fight for that other half of the pie? They're they're thinking this. They may even be consciously asking themselves, you know, the, the, these very questions. You know, how much money is going to be enough money on the table that I won't want to walk away from it? Uh, but the more they do this in advance of the mediation, rather than showing up and saying, "Hi, I, I'm your I'm your mediator. You've never met me before, and I want to help you resolve your issues." Well, who's the stranger? You know, that's the, that's it's it's kind of like being thrown in a in, in a uh, a pool of ice water, if you will. Uh, the attorney has to get the client in the mindset to settle a case in advance of the mediation, and when that happens, then again, there's a lot in the mediation where the process just moves a lot more a lot more smoothly. Um, and, and with that, hopefully, there's an ex- expeditious resolution and increases the chance, in my mind, of getting, of getting a resolution, period. And that's what, that's what the whole goal of mediation is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it sounds like it's all about managing client expectations, right, at every stage of the process. Which every attorney has to do from the day after they take the, uh, you know, pass the bar exam. <laughs> that's that's for sure. That's for well, sure. Yeah, I, I tell you, this is this is a little a little twist. I hope I'm not going too far afield here. Uh, but it took me 
you know, early on in my career, I was in a in a uh, two person partnership with a friend from school. So you know, we 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 joke about learning at the school of hard knocks because you know that's that's what you do when you're you're young and in practice. Uh, and it took me probably about five years or so to figure out as an attorney what was the best and most important question I could ever ask my client. And I used to I used to give uh, I used to speak at. Um, they call them bridging the gap CLEs up here to bridge the gap between law school and practice and typically to be held somewhere in between um, uh, bar results coming out and I think swearing in something like that. And I would tell these kids, because that's the point in life that I'm at now, <laughs> these, these, these 25-year-old kids in front of me, um, that you know this was the most important thing and, and I, I was going to share with them and it was worth the price of them coming to that CLE in the first place and they needed to take it down and, 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 you know, be sure to write this down. And I, every year I would watch these kids and they would sit upright and they would grab the pencil and they're looking at me and they're waiting for, you know, they're hanging on every word I'm saying, waiting for this pearl of wisdom. And the pearl of wisdom was, what do you want? It took me five years to figure out that if I didn't ask a client what they wanted, I could never achieve it for them. And if I couldn't achieve it for them, I would never be successful in representing them. And I think that we as attorneys, as practitioners, maybe tend to lose a little sight of that. You know, maybe it's because this is the 25th case of this type we've handled. Maybe it's because it's a repeat client. Maybe it's just the the hustle and, and, and pressure of daily life. But we have a I think we have a tendency to maybe overlook really being sure that we know what the client wants and that and that we achieve what the client wants. So the best part about one of the great parts about being a mediator is I get the ability to look at both clients, both sides of the table, and basically ask them that question. Um, and if the attorneys have done their work beforehand, I'll get a better answer too. <laughs> And you can and you can help them, I love that phrase, bridge the gap. You can help them bridge the gap in a different way now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, this has all been really, really fascinating. I, I really appreciate you being on the show today and, and talking about these uh, three things. And, you know, for any of our listeners, if they want to connect with you, how can they reach out? Uh, I'm happy to connect with, uh, with anybody. Uh, my, my phone number is 440-306-3063. So it's a very easy to number, number to, to, uh, to remember. And my website is ohioadr.org. Uh, and the articles that, that you've referenced, Veronica, uh, they're up on the website. Uh, the tab is Ohio ADR Journal. Uh, and I publish, I, I will publish the articles about once every two months uh, via email. So if people would like to get on that email list, uh, there's a space to, uh, to fill it out on the website uh, and be, be more than happy to, uh, to include you. The newsletter usually uh, carries uh, three to four ADR related articles and, and hopefully they're enjoyable and informative reads and, and won't put you to sleep. Hey, they are great articles. That's actually how uh, I heard about you is through your Ohio ADR newsletter. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely, definitely worth subscribing to. Fantastic. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. It, it is my pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for asking me per, to partake. It is, tr it is truly an honor. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
Hey, and on a side note to all of our listeners, so I just wanted to share that today is actually uh, my last episode recording for Meetups with Mediators as the host. So I have been chair of the CBA ADR committee for four years now. So um, yeah, it's been great fun. It's been great fun. And I appreciate being able to host the meetings over the years and do these podcasts. Thank you to all of our listeners for enjoying this ride with me. And um, at the same time, it's also time, I think, to pass the baton. So um, I'm looking forward to that as well. And hey, maybe next time you hear me on Meetups with Mediators, uh, maybe I'll be a guest <laughs> instead of host. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll switch sides, right? So um, thank you to all of you for listening. And uh, for one final time, that wraps up this episode of Meetups with Mediators. Make your next mediation your best mediation. Talk to you next time.